I have discovered that I'm quite power mad. Hello, folks. Welcome to this episode of the Superhero FX Podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm Jacob. I'm another of your hosts. Recently, we've been doing a lot of uh, movie and TV show reviews, and today we're going back into some of our favorite kind of episodes where we take a, a general theme and look at it across a bunch of properties. And today we're talking about something that I have always been really interested in and that, Jacob, I'm glad you were um, – you kind of have some similar thoughts on, which is – and we kind of were talking about how to get a handle on this topic. And I think that the title we've came up with is When in, It's Not the Bad Guy's Fault. And what we're talking about here is not necessarily the big bad villain, though we're going to get to that a bit, but more what happens ethically, what should be happening, what kind of decisions do we want heroes to make? When our hero is facing people who are trying to stop the hero from what they're doing, but it's not necessarily their fault they're doing so. And by that we mean everything from a situation where the, the people are acting of their own volition, but you know they're cops or they're army people or something, and they genuinely believe that our hero is in the wrong and that it needs to be stopped, all the way to when people are completely mind-controlled and are you know, a threat to our hero, but it's by no conscious choice of the people, and, you know, they certainly would rather not be doing that. Because um, I've always felt like it's, it's, it's interesting when some shows and movies make a conscious point to show the hero saying, like, oh, well, okay, it's not, it's not this person's fault they're in my way. I need, to, I need to try not to hurt them. And others where it's just like, nope, they're the bad guy. We're going to kill them all. Um, so there's a lot of great, great stuff to get into that, that I think we're going to look at. Um, Jacob, what's your kind of general thoughts on, on this idea, and kind of what was what was you thinking when I first proposed this? Well, when you first proposed this, uh, for, like it was it's a topic that we've sort of touched on, but in a, in a different lens. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was something like so when we're talking about the the disposable humans or disposable people episode, the who can who can we kill that whole idea, right? Um, it's sort of kind of related to that, but we've never really I was I was really excited because we've never really dived in to just focusing on effectively like villains that villains, quote unquote, that not only have a point, but that are like can can be said to be justified in their actions and how our heroes interact yeah. with them. The Magnetos and the Killmongers of the world. Right. But also just like and again, like we're we're not um I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that uh, everything done by our modern day police force is is necessarily good, uh, but if we if we're looking at media, uh, police are often portrayed a little more um, you know a little more fictionally right a little more drama dramatized and if they're meant to be corrupt then they're obviously corrupt otherwise they're we're given to presume that they are uh, there in serving the public. Right. right, and so if you've got like a public servant, uh, but what they're doing is going directly against what our hero is doing, right? They're not even a villain in that case, but they're they're an antagonist to running counter to our hero's agenda. Yeah, like Batman, I always thought was an interesting example of that because in Batman, um, especially Batman the animated series, but also in a lot of the um, t- uh, other TV shows or movies. There's a general conception that there are a lot of corrupt cops, and the corrupt cops are, you know, people who are just as villainous as, you know, any villain's henchmen. But then also you often have some good cops in the police department who don't quite get yet that 
um, Batman is is on the side of the angels, even though it doesn't seem like that. And often in Batman stories, you know, uh, Jim Gordon is probably the best example. You know, often they come around to, to seeing Batman's side. But there definitely are situations where Batman is having to fight those cops. And, um, like, I think it's interesting to look at, like, the perspective he takes versus a character like the Punisher, for whom, you know, once again, from the position of the police force in New York City or wherever he's operating, you basically have a vigilante killer. This is not a great thing. Um, but the way that, you know, where where the Punisher, uh, Frank Castle, just sees these guys as, nope, they're in my way, they're the enemy, they got to die, is very different from a Batman. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good starting point. And like you, I want to add, because um, I think it's a very important part to make, as part of this, one of the things we're going to be discussing a lot is the ethics of um, all the different people that our hero might be fighting. And a lot of those will be, you know, authority figures, police, military, you know, etc. And it's we're talking about, like, what is a situation when the police aren't by aren't necessarily by definition evil. And I think there's a lot of folks who might say, well, in our own world, that's not necessarily the case that that. I think there's strong arguments to be made about the, the moral corruption of a lot of our police force in the country. And, and we can get into arguments about how deep that goes. But I want to make clear that what we're discussing is the ethics of when – and actually we're going to talk about a couple different cases, some of which are when the police are corrupt and some of which are when they're not. So, And in some ways that last part might be one of the most fictional things we talk about because maybe that's not even a possibility. Um, or maybe it is. It's, um, but, but I kind of want to make sure that to be clear that – when we talk about um, how a hero deals with legal authorities that are trying to stop them from being a vigilante, we're keeping it fairly separate from uh, police in our own world. Right. We're, we're talking about situations where those people are acting as the public servants, upholding the, the public good, serving and protecting as they, as they should, right? Uh, and for anybody who, who does that in the real world, wonderful love you applaud you love the work that you do thank you for your service we all i think we would be very disingenuous of us to look at the world as it exists now and say that this mostly fictional idea of what the police are matches up with what we have right right and so when we're talking about our our heroes coming up against law enforcement or coming up against uh public servants uh we're not talking about we're talking about them in the context of the fiction right and often in the fiction uh it's it's a lot more broad stroke right it's a lot more generalistic and it's a lot more idealized uh because right. people that, that's an easier story to tell it's it's more grokkable it's it's more evocative you only have so much room for nuance especially in a superhero story and and it's one reason why i think some of the stories i love most are where they do try to have some of that nuance like the mm -hmm. um uh, the Dark uh, – no, I think it's uh, – yeah, it is The Dark Knight, the second of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. You know, the, the cops are absolutely portrayed as corrupt, but we get one cop who is corrupt because, um, you know, they just want money and power and another cop uh, in Montoya who is corrupt because uh, the Joker I – th I think it's that her mother is incredibly sick and the Joker is threatening her or something. Like, there, there's definitely a lot of duress happening in that decision. So um, – and. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think I'll add is just to say we're talking a lot about that because I think it's an important thing to start with, but we are definitely going to be looking at not, – it's not just looking at police issues. We're going to be looking at all sorts of situations where um, it is not necessarily the fault of the, the people who are in our hero's way. Right, 
uh, mind control is is a theme that's shown up in the last few years actually uh it, it ebbs and flows whether or not it's in the fiction so that's one uh, you could even go as far as to say another another situation we could talk about is situations where someone's had i'm not saying this excuses behavior but someone's had you know considerable trauma that has led them to make these decisions or are you know they're they're themselves trying to do something that uh, from their perspective is quite heroic, you know, trying to save a family member, trying to, you know, we see this often in heroic stories where they're doing whatever it takes to save the one that they love, right? And right. you can paint that person as a hero, but if that person is the antagonist to our hero, now suddenly they're a villain, and how do we feel about our I, hero killing them? I, I mean, it's funny, I, I'm going to Batman so often, but I one thing I've always loved about the Batman uh, universe is how many of the villains start with some kind of very sympathetic story like that? You know, I think mm -hmm. of like uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, for example, and that some of the iterations, like the, the thing he's trying to do more than anything else is save his wife. Um, and the the plot device to explain that is often ludicrously silly. Um, but it's, I definitely think Batman is one who takes that into account and definitely kind of thinks about, you know, what are the intentions? Um, so let's, let's get into what are some of the... Um, I want to start by just talking about what are kind of the, some of the different levels we're going to talk about, and then we're going to talk about just kind of the the ethics of violence itself for a few minutes, because that's a, a nice short topic <laughs> before getting into specific <laughs> examples. Um, let's talk about like what we see as some of the different le the different kinds of ways in which it cannot be their fault, and 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 what kind of decisions we do or don't want to see from heroes in each. Um, and so I think, let's start with the one that we were kind of talking about at the beginning. Um, when it's people who are chasing a vigilante, someone like Batman or the Punisher or um, something like that, where it is cops, it's military, maybe it's civilians who, you know, think what they see is a person acting outside of the law to maybe they think to do right, but clearly breaking the law. What What's your kind of take on, like, how do you feel when you see, you know, our hero vigilante doing violence against folks like that? Uh it usually is at least somewhat uncomfortable. I mean, as you know, I, I'm not a big fan of violence in the general. I accept it in my fiction. Um, but it, specifically in situations where the, the people who are obstructing our hero's goals don't really have... like They're not culpable in the bad thing that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. it, I really, really want my hero to find a... a uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, a diplomatic solution in those situations, some way to talk through it or convince them, but there's not always time. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, like, it, it, I would rather they run away uh, than yeah. than hurt somebody that doesn't like, that's not doing anything wrong. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, and I think that those are um, like I, I've mentioned it before, but the Punisher is one that I think often makes me very uncomfortable for many reasons we did a whole episode on it um mm -hmm. two actually one about each season but i think that's one of them is that you know frank castle is someone who feels justified in his own mind and um uh and and we're supposed to as the viewers you know agree with him and sometimes you do and sometimes we don't and one thing i think that i find really interesting especially in the punisher is there's such a big difference in how he treats the named cops versus the, the the kind of mindless guys in blue, you know, in that once we re we meet Madani and some of the other characters, there's a sense of, OK, this person doesn't 
at, at first at least doesn't, you know, agree with what Frank's doing and wants to stop him. But Frank at least seems to respect that person and doesn't want to do them harm. Whereas when it's, you know, just ten boys in blue coming to arrest him, um, I don't think he ever flat out kills any cops. But certainly the level of violence is pretty damn high. Um, and I think that's a – that seems like that's a fairly common thing. Um, I'm trying to think. I think uh, – I believe – I, I wish I'd, I'd looked up more of these, but I, I remember, I think, Daredevil also having some similar situations where cops are trying to arrest him because, again, he's, um, you know, breaking the law to do what he thinks is right. And he's pretty, pretty, ter you know, in the Daredevil non-lethal way, he doesn't try to kill them, just hits them in the head with an iron pipe. Right. But we're, the, the conceit is that he's not killing anybody because Daredevil doesn't kill anybody or something. Right. Um, yeah. We, we we buy into it, I guess, because that's that's the story. Um, with with Frank Castle specifically, with with the Punisher, the story that that they're telling there is actually more. I feel like it, it's trying much harder to be like extra grim and extra gritty, and so there at least it like it matches the tone. But then it does mean that uh, Frank's like his his baseline level of violence is much more extreme than I'm comfortable with in general, and that means like when he's restraining himself, he's still way above my line for what I think you should be doing to those people who are, again, just trying to well, again in the fiction, just trying to do their jobs. Uh, and right. in this case, like you and I have talked about this, Frank is a vigilante, and I pretty sure he should be stopped like yeah well, <laughs> and i also feel like with uh something i hadn't thought of before but actually i think this i'm wondering if you agree with me this is a, a relevant point um i think part of what also gets me particularly about frank is that what he's out for is revenge there mm -hmm. isn't a situation of if frank doesn't act you know huge numbers of people are in danger um and, and i bring this up because and again I'm, I'm blanking on examples for this specific one but I feel like I've seen a hundred movies where the security guard who is guarding the big secret factory has no idea about the terrible thing that's happening in the factory. But unless our hero can get into the factory, you know, a hundred thousand people are going to die for whatever the MacGuffin of the movie is. In a situation like that, I, I, you know, I feel bad for the security guard, but I at least can understand, like, if the hero has no other way to get in, then some violence against that security guard against the huge number of lives that are going to be lost, you know, may maybe that can be justified or at least more understandable. But with someone like Frank, there is no sort of um, higher motive or higher justification. It's just purely, um, it's this revenge idea that he has. And there's a justice element of, you know, killing the people who did horrible things. But that, that lack of an imminent danger makes me a lot, it makes it a lot harder for me to justify. And with the with the security, I think it's a, the the security guard point especially is is very interesting, because uh, it it, uh, it brings up the janitors on the Death Star argument, right? Mm, from Clerks, Where yeah. It's it's it, it's very close. I actually think it, they're basically the same situation where some number of ostensibly innocents, you know, people who are not directly involved in this mass slaughter that this thing is doing, or, or this, uh, in the case of the supervillain hideout, whatever's going on there, um, they're kind of in the way, right? They're, they're yeah. caught in the crossfire. Um, and when our heroes have to do violence onto them, actually, 
in those situations like a little bit better when uh, they at least takes the, the the stories take some time to show us those people as people as opposed mm. to nope everybody who's on this big space orb is evil and so when it blows up you could just cheer yeah well and that's and, and i uh we're gonna get to that i think in a later category because i'm gonna respond with the clerk's response of you know that that is there an argument of those people having willingly joined within with the empire which they should be able to recognize as, as morally pretty awful but but let, let's hold off on that because we're going to get to a couple of different categories first um the next one is when when um a person's been framed um and i'm thinking here the best example i think is um in the movie uh Mar uh Cap captain america civil war where the german police you know fully believe that the bucky barnes the winter soldier and both the german police and tony stark you know, fully believe that um, Bucky has done terrible things, and, and mm -hmm. as we learn, uh, actually, no, that, that that forget Tony Stark because what Tony Stark thinks did happen, but what the German police think didn't happen. Um, and there again, Captain America. Um, it it for me was one of the harder moments to watch because, um, you know, Captain America is someone who normally tries pretty hard not to do violence against people who don't deserve it, and in rescuing Bucky. You know, the German police were going after Bucky for what, what seemed pretty legitimate reasons in the moment, um, you know, are just to get the absolute crap beaten out of them. And I, again, I, I, I don't recall exact details of that fight, but I seem to remember like some some guards, being some police officers being thrown off of pretty high staircases and things that are, are maybe not going to just be a bruise or two. What, yeah, what, what's your I'm... kind of take on situations like that where it is someone who is um, – you know, our, our our hero or our hero's friend has been framed, and it's not you know, but the 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 authorities can't necessarily know to understand that. So, there's a there, there's an argument I think that um, in the service of ensuring justice is is served, right? So, in the interest of trying to make sure that someone is not uh, punished unduly, or or that the truth comes to light, etc. There, there are situations where our heroes are going to be interacting with people who, again, are following the law. They're, they're, they're uh, trying to apprehend somebody, but they, the hero knows that as soon as that happens, uh, everything is done and that it's, that outcome is not correct. Right. That's actually slightly easier for me to stomach because in that case, it's, it's, I guess, more defensive. It's a, mm -hmm. it's reactionary. It's a, like, all they have to do is stop, uh, and like regroup, and and they don't have to get hit by Captain America and his good good shield a million times. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's it's still it's uncomfortable. But I think what's interesting here is that I feel like the actions of all of the individuals involved are justified, and so it just creates this this situation where people are doing violence against each other and nobody is in the wrong because i don't right. for me i don't think captain america is wrong to uh to want to defend bucky and i don't think that the german police are wrong to try to apprehend bucky um and because rather than unlike the uh scenario of like the security guard like the the people in the way um or the people trying to apprehend the hero themselves when there's somebody else involved and the hero is trying to protect them. 
that to me feels different because now it's mm. not about I need to make you know it's not about the sort of egoistic thing of I need to make sure that I still have my agency because I'm the only one who can solve this problem. It's the problem is that you're trying to take this person away, and so you you are directly against what I'm standing for right now. Yeah, I I think that's an important distinction because like <clears throat> I I think um, and at some point we should maybe do an episode fully on the ethics of like the choice to become a vigilante because I think it, it's directly related to so many of the questions we talk about. But I've always sort of felt that like if you choose to become a vigilante, one of the choices you're making is that the cops might you know depending on how corrupt they are in your city, which again, you know, not forgetting the fact that in many cases they might be very much the enemy, but that when they're not necessarily, um, you're, you're making the choice to run afoul of the law. And I think one of the ethical questions you have to resolve is, what am I going to do if the, the cops try to apprehend me? And I, 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 I think, but I think you're right that, that, that that's a choice that someone's making and the consequences of it. Captain America's decision-making has nothing to do with Bucky Barnes being framed and his desire to to stop that from happening. So I think I think you're right. That's an important distinction, um, and I I think you're right. This is overall more justifiable. I am, I I kind of wish like in that scene and and th there's a number of other examples of this um, that are treated in different ways. And I think in the ones where it seems like they're fighting more, I do wish that you know maybe Cap and Bucky had tried to find a way, as you said, to escape, you know, to mm -hmm. like bust through a door or get out a window or, you know, in some way. And, and the thing is, I guess sometimes, you know, you want the fight scene because it makes better television or make, makes for a better movie. Uh, at least as some people believe, I, I kind of love the movie of it not being, um, but, and, and so I get from dramatic reasons why that has to happen. But I, I, I yeah, so I think you're right. I, I don't think Cap is in the wrong for that. But I, but I, I wish they had been able to find a way without, you know, trashing that many people who are, as you said, from their perspective, trying to do the right thing. Um, let's let's kind of use that and again, sticking on the Captain America example for a moment, although we can go to some others, is what happens when the 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 authority. It's not that the the you know our hero is trying to stop some totally other person and the cops are getting in the way or the soldiers are getting in the way, but when our hero recognizes that all of those authority figures are working for a government or an entity that is far more corrupt than they know. Um, and the, the Captain America example is, you know, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are fighting Cap because they don't yet realize that that S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually controlled by HYDRA. Um, what's, what's your kind of take on those kind of situations? And besides just Cap, there's one other example um, that you actually helped me remember by bringing up Babylon 5, uh, which is that in Babylon 5... Um, anyone who hasn't seen it small spoilers for a show 20 years old by now um you know um there's a point at which our heroes have broken away from the government of earth and are placed in situations where they're fighting against the military forces of earth who don't realize how corrupt their own government is and think that they are fighting a legitimate traitor um and in, in those instances the 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 captain tries pretty hard not to fight them, but, but does and, and fights with lethal force when he has to. Um, so what, what's kind of your take on situations like those? So, so what I was, what, what I want to jump in for here is that, uh, the way Captain America handles that situation at, during, um, Winter Soldier, right? That was that movie where we saw, um, yep. the fact that, oh, by the way, Shields Hydra, um, that fell too much, in my opinion, into the, this is a hero action movie, so this is what we how we have to present this trope. Mm -hmm. 
uh, area. I really want our heroes to use our words, which is why I'm glad you brought up the, the Babylon 5 example, because I actually feel like that story does a much better job of showing us um, our heroes doing everything they can to get the message out that, hey, what you're, who you're working for, you're, you're, you're being fed all this propaganda, you're being fed misinformation, and, and they actually win some people over. Right? It's not that every ship they come across they end up fighting to the death. Right? Mm -hmm. There are some people that they actually manage to, yeah, okay, we'll strike up a dialogue, we'll talk, and then, oh, really? And then, oh, these this information, you didn't falsify these records. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. That sucks. And then they join up with, with Sheridan and the uh, <laughs> I guess you can call them rebels, but, you know, they, sh they join up with the Babylon 5 forces. Um, and I just, like, for me, if our heroes don't make a, at least a token effort to be all like, you're on the wrong side of this, and, and try to, to reason with these people, um, it, I don't think it's ethically sound to yeah. just go, well, I'm just going to punch you because you're on the wrong side of this. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea, especially because... You know, in a lot of cases, our hero doesn't start knowing things. And, and we get to watch the hero coming to understand, you know, this terrible truth and having their moment of realization of, I can't work for these people anymore. And I think I'm a little disappointed sometimes when you're right. When, when I love it when the, the focus of the hero is trying to let, you know, others have that same moment and only fighting those who are really refusing. And... It's a lot harder to swallow when it's you know the, the the hero never even does that. It's just like nope, you're you're on the side of the government still, so I, I can't you know you're you're just as uh, worthy of lethal force. Um, yeah, and, and it, I think again, I, it, oh, go ahead. It, it's a simpler story, right? Because they can paint with these broad strokes of uh, with the hero or against the hero, but that kind of mentality and that kind of story is like. Even even for, quote, stories for kids or stories for, for younger people, no, we can put more nuance in that. We can show situations where our heroes don't see the world in black and white like that. And, and yeah. yeah, I feel very strongly about this particular example because if they're, you know, perfectly rational human beings who are capable of understanding right and wrong, I don't understand why our heroes don't try to communicate with them first. Yeah. And, and that gets into also the questions of how much – and this is something you and I have talked about a lot on this show. On this, uh, It's kind of one of the whole premises of this podcast is where is it that the writers are deciding to have the character make an ethical decision versus the writers are deciding what's going to look good on the screen? Because, mm -hmm. you know, the fact is a – well, here's the thing. I was going to say a hero who – never uses violence to talk their way out of a problem who always, you know, who never uses violence. They always try to, you know, reason with a person. I was going to say that wouldn't work on television, except that's Star Trek for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, so much of the many Star Trek television shows are based on, you know, there's some combat, but there's an awful lot of times when, when Kirk or, or Picard or, or any of them are able to use their words to get out of a situation. So it's certainly possible, but I think that's very much the, ex the exception. And, it, mean, and it's unfortunate because you're right because it, it means that we don't get to see the hero wrestling with that ethical question right because they they sort of don't bring it up and if they don't bring it up then you don't always 
you're not always thinking about it, I think. And then, like, that's not unreasonable, yeah. but, like, if you looking back retrospectively at a lot of these, uh, a lot of these movies, a lot of these shows, uh, I've saw some Arrow, and now I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, no, <laughs> cannot get behind <laughs> this Oliver Queen and his fun arrows. Why doesn't he have the boxing glove arrow? What happened to you that? Didn't, you, you didn't uh, uh, like um, Star City 90210? Uh, well, look, like, there's there's some interesting things happening on the CWDC Universe shows, but... Um, uh-huh. Uh, anytime they try to be like very dramatic and grim dark, I'm just like rolling my eyes. Like, no. yeah, I, nah, I, nah, I, I, do, I do quite, a, I do like quite a lot of them, and I've heard some good things more recently, and I'm gonna try and watch some of them again. But um, it's it's um, it's it's very much more sort of you know guilty pleasure television instead of things like that. Um, and then, like I, I but, pick on Oliver Queen because he's you know straight up, I mean, and yes, the way he, I, I understand the character changes, uh, but, like, he starts out straight up murdering people, and it's like, mm, yeah. Mm. And and at least that, he, I think in many ways, actually, I'll, I, I'm going to push back a bit, because I think the show Arrow is actually very ethically interesting, because forgive small spoilers, but, like, he does, um, there is quite a lot of moral repercussions to his actions, and him reconsidering and realizing how wrong he was, but that's Maybe we'll get into more of that in the the when we go straight into vigilantes. Um, I'm not saying and, it's not and, ethically interesting. Uh, to, yeah. to be be careful. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not ethically interesting. I'm saying that I don't agree with his actions. Yeah. No, I I get that, but I'm saying I think that's actually what makes it a, makes the first seasons of it actually very good television. Um, mm. but but let me throw now the corollary to this, which is we're actually coming back to the Star Wars situation, which is where. The government is corrupt, and probably the authorities should be able to know that, you know. And and I, what I'm what I'm saying here is like, where is the line of, you know, you chose to be part of this institution, and so I'm. It's a lot harder for me to say you're just doing your job. And um, the the I think actually you know janitors working for the empire is is one possible example of this, but the one that that for me really comes up is um, uh. In V for Vendetta, you know, our hero does an awful lot of violence against cops who are ostensibly chasing a vigilante and doing their job. But they're also all cops who might not realize all of the corruption and the, you know, the fact that the the villains actually, you know, created this terrible tragedy that led to this fascist government. But they're still cops in a fascist government um, and, and a government that I think can be pretty clearly seen to be, you know, very anti-democratic and very repressive and things like that. Um, where, where does that fall for you in terms of the ethics of violence against folks like that? Well, the, the problem here is that I don't think I've ever seen a story that treats those situations with the level of nuance I feel you'd need to in mm. order to really make that evaluation. Because every individual you come across, right, in those situations could be there of their own volition and, and with the knowledge and saying, yeah, but, you know, they pay really well, or, you know, it's a living. Or it right. could be a situation where they're like, look, I don't have any other options. Uh, it was this or starve, or it was this or, you know, my family was going to starve. And I, or, or um, in the case of the uh, First Order troops, uh, they're brainwashed, right? Like, yeah. like that's okay, not that's... on them. 
First Order soldiers is one I hadn't thought of, but that w what we learned about Finn and the other First Order soldiers, that's actually a great example. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's not mind control, it's, it's different, right? But these are people who have been uh, indoctrinated, right, with these ideas, and like, can you fault them for yeah. being mentally manipulated like that? I don't know. Like, that, yeah. that's that's a tough one. It, it it's an interesting one, and I I feel like the the brainwash the the literally like raised from birth, you know, um, as a real world example, um, we hear less about this now, and I don't know if it's because it's less of a problem or because it's just getting less media attention. But you know, five ten years ago, we were hearing quite a lot about these armies of child soldiers in parts of Africa, um, where these were you know committing horrific gener uh, uh, atrocities. But often it was like, you know, boys between the ages of 13 and 18 who had been raised by these armies from the time they were two or three. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there again, it, it raises all sorts of questions. And I feel like, I guess it, it, the way I would see it is, you know, like to start with my first example, if, you, if you're working for the government in V for Vendetta, maybe you're doing it for reasons that are not fully of your own control. And I feel like maybe there's a sense of, I'm not ready to hate those people. Like, I'm not ready to to cheer. I, I don't necessarily want to cheer when those people are hurt because of, like, you know, in the same way I might be like, you know, if our hero goes into a Nazi convention or a KKK meeting. Um, but I – it's never that I want to justify violence, but I guess I feel like – I feel like there's less of a need for our hero to go out of their way to not have to use violence than it would be against a situation – like. Like, in terms of that moral scale of how much is it their fault, those situations, I think you're right. Sometimes it, the culpability is less, but that's – I guess I'm less concerned about it in those situations. I, I feel like there's a, there's a like, one to ten punch a Nazi scale. Yeah. Uh, where <laughs> ten is ten – is, they're a true believer punching, right? Punching yeah. happens. They're, they bought in or they are one of the controlling influences and, like – the people who are who are unwitting, uh, but are still involved, you know, they're on the two or three, and that's more of a if you must kind of situation yeah. where I don't like it, but there are times where it probably has to happen. It just sucks to blow up a space station of them, right? If they were just there to clean the toilets. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's it's and I think that's the that's the hard choice, and you know, and and it's. <laughs> It's funny, like, um, you know, Kevin Smith, I think, is an ethicist in his own way. And that the because the point that's made in response in that first Clerks movie is that, you know, to some extent you are making a choice, even if it's just mm -hmm. to, to, you know, to fix a roof or to, to, to clean the toilets. And the rejoinder then is, as you said, what if there isn't a choice, whether it's, you know, economic necessity or you've actually been drafted or things like that. Um, and I guess part of where it comes down to me is, especially in terms of media, I feel like there's two levels of the ways that violence is portrayed, one of which is when we just see the hero doing violence and the question is, like, is the hero justified in using this violence? And the other is how do we feel about the movie celebrating that violence? You know, um, one of my first episodes with Paul was about the movie Desperado and how in that movie, like, it's pretty clear that we are supposed to cheer and root for the awesome violence because the violence is done in a very artistic hilarious ridiculous over-the-top way that makes you go like oh my god look at that great way he killed that guy um and i guess yeah that's the 
the kind of like the, the random soldier in the army or the, the military of a fascist government, there I think I'm, I, I need to have, uh, I need to have met an actual person and know that they're an actual like fucked up person if I'm going to want to root for them to die in some cool way. Um, even that sentence sounds morally horrible, but you know what I mean in terms right. of watching TV. Um, right. I'm not rooting for anyone's death, but like that, you know, but I think I, you know, when it's just, you know, five random guys in the, um, who are, you know, the bottom of the totem pole of an evil army, unless I, you know, unless I know that like everyone has to go through the secret initiation and prove that they're loyal. Yeah. I think I, I don't have a moral problem with a hero doing violence towards them. And I don't think the, the hero has to pull their punches. But I don't want the movie to celebrate it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's okay to have the action sequence. It's okay to have the the victory or the, um, you know, we we blew up the Death Star. But you know, let's acknowledge the fact that war sucks and people die that didn't probably didn't need to. Um, and if we have that, it's I'm a lot happier with it because then we're not um. We're not romanticizing things that are actually that that should upset us, right? I guess right. that's 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 why I want, but don't think I'm going to get ever uh, the level of nuance of our hero knowing or or learning, you know, the difference between the person in the the hallway of the the evil layer that is, you know, not really aware of what's going on. Versus somebody who's all like, yeah, screw those guys. I'm really flying high. This is great. Love this. Right. right? You know, well, really happy and, to get the, the one punch <laughs> to death and the other one, not so much. And, and I think it raises an interesting question that, that actually is, is a pretty big part of like historical debates and things like that, which is where is the line between, you know, when a society does evil things like, where is the line between saying it was just the fault of the leaders versus it was the fault of the society itself versus it was the fault of every single individual in that society? You know, and I'm, I'm going to take the historic the historic discussion about Nazi Germany here for a second, because um, I, I studied actually quite a lot about World War Two. And I'm really interested in the the way the Nazis continue to be talked about in historical circles. And and you've really kind of seen three different schools of thought. Uh, happen over the last 30 or 40 years with some evolution. Um, and at first being a sense of like, you know, the German people, it wasn't necessarily their fault. And it was, you know, Hitler and the Nazis. And most of Germans were just as much victims of the Nazis as everybody else. And I think more recently, there's been a lot of um, real pushback on that idea and like understanding of like for the Nazis to be able to thrive, you had to have, you know, a basic fundamental understanding in the society itself of tolerating this kind of evil and going along with this kind of evil. Um, and on the third, like, but does that mean that like every single 18 year old German boy who got drafted into the German army is just as evil as the SS officer at Auschwitz? Um, and, and I think that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about here is like, you know, what is the moral culpability of each of, of, you know, the empire as a whole or the, the, the police of a fascist nation as a whole versus like the moral culpability of each individual person in that situation, many of whom might not want to be in that situation or many of whom, you, you know, like, I don't know, I'm kind of wandering a bit here, but I, I, I'm always, I'm always interested when I, when I hear discussions about this, because while I'm very much on the side of, you don't just blame the leaders, you know, when the whole society is rotten, you have to talk about that. 
it goes too far when I see things like, you know, um, you know, every Confederate soldier deserved to die, which is something I saw posted recently, or that, you know, every German soldier was by definition evil. Because um, I just, I don't know where does that, I, I don't necessarily think those statements are wrong, but I don't know where, where we draw those lines of recognizing the evil that is inherent in a society versus saying that every single individual, therefore, is, is as equally morally culpable. I think that historically, I the the only way to to assess that right is, um, if you're if you're assessing it historically, you can only look at societies as a whole and at individuals who achieved a, a significant level of prominence, right? Mm-hmm. You we've lost the detail on on a lot of the the people who are now deceased, right? So we right. we'll never know. Um. We could, we we could look at uh, things going on in our own world today, and ask about moral culpability, uh, and who's responsible for what, and to what degree, uh, each. For example, let's let's say senators in in a given body. <laughs> um, no, I, Just I'm like you laugh. I'm being, you're being, you're laughing. I'm being dead serious. Uh, mm. how many of them? How many people in the Senate are directly responsible for the outcome of this trial uh, versus how many are, you know, obviously they're they're still taking an action, but are doing it for, you know, I guess what you could say is different reasons. How many are doing it to maintain power or to try to maintain power? And, and it, it comes down to the reasons why these individuals do things and that's almost guaranteed going to get lost historically we're not going to know for even a body of 40 people right we're talking about I, an army of thousands i i guess to me i i i think it, i think the senate example is a good one for the larger discussion but i think i disagree with you pretty strongly there because i think for me if you are part of something that is fundamentally evil and and yes i am calling the republican senate at this point tolerating corruption in the way it is fundamentally evil um i i i i do think that in order for me to justify you being a part of it i need to believe that you have a fundamental lack of autonomy you know that you have that you were brainwashed as a child or that you were in an economic situation where the military was literally the only you know alternative to starvation and to me like i fully agree with you i think that um you know, there are some people who are true who are true Trump believers, and there are others who are just terrified of the Democrats for whatever reason, and there are others who are, um, you know, just they really don't want to lose reelection. To me, none of those are con- like to me. If you are in a position of power like the Senate, you have committed to take those kind of risks in order to do the right thing. And I have, I I I can morally understand you know, a person joining a, a corrupt police force or army out of desperation. I don't love the choice, but I can I can not necessarily label it as, as awful. I think once you get to the level of Senate, like, the reasons are, are interesting, but they don't... To me, there is absolutely no moral difference between, you know, Mitch McConnell and uh, Senator Murkowski. You know, whether it's you're, you're the true Trump believer or you just want to get reelected... If, if you're supporting the overthrow of democracy without that much actual personal risk to yourself, 
I see those as morally equivalent. Interesting. I guess morally, perhaps, I think that the the reasoning behind the decision has a different ethical weight, uh, mm -hmm. and so therefore I would be differently comfortable with heroes, for example, choosing to terminate one versus another, right? Mm. If they were like, we've got to clean this up. Uh, if one person's like, look, I I was just like. If I do, if I don't do this, they're just going to put somebody else in office that will. And at least here, I have the opportunity to do something. You know, I, I can pick my battles, right? Uh, versus someone who's all who's you know again like a true believer. Um, right. And I think that there's there's a distinction that could be made. And I'm not saying I am not saying anybody uh, in in the Senate who's a Republican is is of the former position. I'm just allowing for the possibility. Right. I guess what I'm saying is that like the 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 morality of the the decision is based on the outcome. Right. Is like, yeah. they, they know full well what the decision is and what the outcome is going to be. I don't disagree with you that the that has the same moral weight across all of them. Um, it, it, it's interesting when you put it that way because I think I think I actually say like and, and maybe we can move. I, I have a, a different example. I think of the thing you're getting at that is is more in our star in our uh, sci-fi realm. But just sure. to finish on the Senate example, in some ways, again, if we assume that what's happening in the Senate is happening in a fictional world, to me, the person who is a true believer in an evil government, uh, I almost find more morally supportable than the person who says, yeah, but I could, I could lose my – like to me, Mitch McConnell is an awful, awful human being. But I think of Lisa Markowski as morally worse. Um, you know, because to me, that's just that's not even truly believing in the Trump agenda. It's just absolute cowardness in the face of like you have the power to stop evil and you just don't want to lose an election. Like to me, that's morally worse than than having a true belief and the true belief being terrible. Um, Interesting. I, <laughs> I disagree. Uh, <laughs> but OK, well, actually, let's, let's go a little deeper on that. So so what what where would you see that? And then I want to shift to the other example. I was well, gonna bring up. again, um. I guess from from my perspective, the uh, from from my perspective, the morality uh, in of the action of of the the choice that gets made ultimately, I see is equivalent, because the outcome is equivalent, right? Um, when you get to their justifications, uh, to me that's a difference in ethics, and then I have mm -hmm. to know what their personal motivations are in in the entirety, right? Which right. is why going back to the fictional examples again we don't see this in the mooks because the mooks are often barely treated as people um but when we do get characterization of them that's that's when we get the more interesting stories right and yeah. then it's interesting because when we get characterization then suddenly our heroes do talk to them right yeah <laughs> so it's it's almost like those people have moral value and the other people don't <laughs> i i think that's hmm. a good point i think this is i think you know this decision of like, what do you do when you're a person who has real power in the face of evil? This is one we should definitely explore more in a, in a later episode. But the example I'm going to turn to you is, because uh, I think this is actually, I, I'm surprised I didn't think of it before, but I think this is one of the best of the, when is it or is it not ethical to collaborate with evil? Galen Erso. The, 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 in, you've seen the movie Rogue One, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the father of our hero who, you know, decides to go back to work for the Empire and decides to help build the Death Star 
because as he as he believes it, if he doesn't do it, someone else will. Even though we kind like the we're kind of being told that that's not the case because they can't do it. They're saying without him, but he seems to believe they can. But then his idea is that he's going to work from within inside to kind of like as you said to kind of like at least like I can do more damage from within the inside. Um, mm-hmm. And in like that it movie, introduce the concept of ventilation. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and in that movie, in what I think is one of the really interesting ethical uh, points in the movie. Some folks in the Rebel Alliance who are portrayed as antagonists, not heroes, and I, I kind of think I understand why, decide, nope, he's a collaborator. We're not interested in what he's trying to do. He is just as morally culpable as anyone else. We need to take him out. Um, and in in the movie, it's not a perfect example because it's actually not just like a moral decision. It's like bad strategy to take him out because of what he knows. But putting that aside, like where where do you place a Galen Urso? on this kind of moral scale of someone who is, you know, willingly collaborating with evil because they believe that what they're doing is kind of from within side going to make it easier to fight the evil, but but it's it's not clear if they're doing more harm than good. So I have a question for you. I think I know the answer, uh, which is unfortunate. Have you seen Angel Season 5? I have not, but I'm most likely not going to see it, and so I don't mind if you spoil me. Okay, so unfortunately, spoiling you doesn't help because it's it's the same kind of of situation where our the the title character of the show ends up deciding to take over. He was he's offered the ability to take over the evil law firm, and he takes it because he thinks that he can do more good by trying to mitigate the the amount of damage that the the right. the law firm does right that Wolfram and Hart does. Um, and so these situations where characters, uh, think that the way that they can do the most good is by tying their ship to, you know, something that, that is demonstrably evil, but allows them to work from the inside. I mean, not everybody has the ability to stand, you know, if their other option is, you know, I'm going to stand up, stare it blankly in the face and gloriously die, that doesn't seem like they accomplished as much good as what they could do from the inside. So yeah. honestly, to me, it actually feels like the most heroic choice to acknowledge your limitations and to acknowledge what you have the capacity to do mm-hmm. and what you can't, and then try to leverage your strengths to do as much good as you can in, in a bad mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, I I think that's a good point, and I think I'm probably mostly there with you. I um, you know, I in some ways it comes down to a kind of moral calculus, and it's hard to calculate that, you know, because mm-hmm. in Galen Erso's situation, you could argue like it it really comes down to like could they have actually built the Death Star with him or without him, and you know when you look because because on one level you sort of look at like you know the Death Star before it's destroyed, you know kills millions and millions of people um on alderaan and on uh in Jeddah and places like that and so there's a question of like you know do all of those deaths just like could there have been a way to to stop the death star plans without doing any of that and 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 would it have involved you know galen urso being willing to die so that he couldn't be used to help the plans and there's an extent to which you can get it's an argument more about what that reality of the situation and that's not what we're going for here but um I I, th- I think I am mostly with you of if you can do more damage from the inside, then I'm for it. 
I guess I just feel like I feel like that has to be balanced against to what extent is you simply being there helping to kind of give cover or to justify something that should be by definition unjustifiable, you know, and taking it back to the the arguments we, you know, where we started in our own world, I think some of the most interesting arguments are from those people who say like, look, I joined a police force that I know isn't great because I feel like my being a good officer can and can try and change things versus the folks who say like, yeah, but you being a good person makes it seem like the police aren't as fundamentally corrupt as they are. And that does more harm than good. Um, and, and not to get into specifics of that debate, but I, I guess I feel like I would like to see more when we do have a character whose claim is that they are doing good from the inside, even though they're inside of an evil institution. Um, I, I wish I saw that pushed more because I do think it's an easy way to justify the safer perspective. Um, but kind of taking it back to the, to the where we started, I guess then where does Galen Urso fall on your scale of can we do violence against them? Like if, if, you know, the, the those who have the perspective of, uh, you know, if, if it's more not a, like an attempt to target Galen Urso, but it's we want to kill Director Krennic, but he is, you know, standing next to Galen Urso. Does the fact that Galen Urso joined this institution but to try and do good, does that mean we should uh, be more careful to try and protect him? Or does the fact that he's kind of whatever his motives, he's signed up with the evil institution mean that if he's caught in the crossfire, we're OK with that? Yeah, uh, that that one is is a tough nut to crack for me. Um, I don't actually think I have a good answer. Uh, I don't really want to say that you shouldn't try to take the bad guys out uh, when given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly it's it's different. This is this is a slam dunk. No, don't do it. If it's, you know, a hostage, right, or an innocent. it gets then this is why you're bringing the question over it gets a lot more challenging when this is somebody who is actively engaged in doing the evil thing um but with the intent of like effectively pre-sabotaging the effort yeah um and like so that that person's position morally is is not really completely in the dark end but at the same time i'm not sure it should stay your hand Right. I'm not sure it shouldn't either. Like that, that that one's uh that one's one I'm not sure I have an answer for. Yeah, no, and I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat because I feel like I I remember watching the movie and feeling like in some ways the character of Galen Urso was the most morally interesting to me and the one that I I part of why I love Rogue One so much is I feel like it takes as much as I love the original Star Wars movies, it paints things in very, very moral black and white lines. And mm-hmm. the force is all about the the potential corrupting influence of giving in to your hatred of evil. But it's very clear that, you know, evil is evil unless it can be brought all the way back to good, but there's no middle ground. Um, and I love that Rogue One really portrays that, no, there's there's our heroes do terrible things. And there's all sorts of, of middle ground there. Um but yeah, I think that one becomes a, a really interesting one. Um, let's, let's shift gears a lot, and um, we can finally stop talking about cops, because I admit that all the connections in our real world has made that entire conversation very uncomfortable. Um, but but, but I, I think it was important questions to ask. But let's start talking now about where we're talking about civilians. And 
we're going to start with um, what I think both of us agree is one of the best ways this issue is portrayed, um, which is the topic of mind control. And here what we're talking about is where, you know, there are physical bodies standing in the way of our hero and perhaps legally, you know, lethally threatening our hero or lethally threatening other people. But the mind that controls that body has nothing to do with the decision to do these things. <clears throat> and the, the example that I mentioned that I think we both love is Jessica Jones in season one, where the purple man is literally mind controlling people to make them attack Jessica. Um, you know, when they, those actual people in no way want to do it. Um, and, and some other examples are um, when Loki is controlling Hawkeye in the movie Avengers uh, anytime Superman comes into uh, contact with Red Kryptonite, uh, the character of Garibaldi in Babylon 5, who gets literally brainwashed by telepaths. Um, and in all of those cases, we see different we Each of those uh, movies or TV shows has a very different perspective on whether or not those people should be or should not be subjected to violence. Um, what, what's your take on this question, like some of these, some of these ways of approaching it? So, obviously, I prefer Jessica Jones's approach which is mm. that literally any kill of Kilgrave's victims, I'm not going to victimize them further. Um, and I think that com that does come from a place of some of her own personal trauma because she's remembering um, killing somebody under Kilgrave's orders, right? Yeah. Um, and that has affected her to the point where she doesn't want to inflict that level of harm on anyone and also understands that these people can be controlled to the point where they're able to do terrible harm not of their own volition not not of their own control and so she has the it's obviously i really appreciate a hero who's able to have that level of empathy and compassion for for people who are under that kind of control and then act in in a way that i agree with where she won't do violence onto them or, or I mean, obviously, in her case, even small amounts of violence can be deadly, so she has to right. be very controlled about it, period. Um, I don't remember what happened with Hawkeye, actually, because it's been way too long now since I've seen Avengers. Um, so, my memory is that we wind, we see Hawkeye fighting Natasha, and they're neither one of those... Well, I, no, I guess they, you know, Hawkeye fires arrows, but... Um, Natasha isn't someone who like well no hmm. everything I realized we don't see her deciding not to use lethal violence in the fight and I think my memory is that she says things that are sort of along the lines of look look if I have to kill you I'm going to kill you mm -hmm. um but she is certainly trying to sort of talk him down and is certainly very happy when like you know banging his head really hard undoes the Loki magic for movie reasons right. Um, right. but, but I certainly don't have a sense of like, um, it doesn't seem like she's, she has some recognition of that. This is not his fault necessarily, but I don't necessarily feel like she has a sense of like, therefore morally I have to kill him. It's more like, you know, she owes him a debt and killing him is not really the good way to pay off a moral debt. Whenever we get situations like that, there was actually one that came up more recently on Supernatural. Uh, where a character is under the control of somebody else, and it's it's a character who's a uh, romantic interest for one of the leads, and the other of the leads uh, is being you know violenced upon, and he says at one point, "Don't make me do this," and I'm like, I just got this like sinking feeling in my stomach. It's like you're not going to kill her. That's ridiculous. Don't you dare. 
That's not morally I, defensible at all. I think I know what you're talking about, but remind me. Oh, you wouldn't have seen this. This is a this oh, okay. is last season. This is current season, which is last season Supernatural. Uh, characters oh, okay. being controlled by God. Um, <laughs> As you to, do. Like, literally being, you know, yeah. God's a real character in this show. Uh, it's good times. But yeah, so like, that, that particular scene really rubbed me the wrong way. Whenever our heroes deal with a mind-controlled person and and bring up that, well, I might have to use lethal force here. I'm like, you can't. That's not yeah. right. Well, and it's interesting because I, I, this is, again, part of why I think Jessica Jones is one of the best things ever made on television. Um, what I love there is, is, the, is I feel, backing up a step, I don't like situations where I don't feel like the writers understand the ethical consequences of what's happening. You know, yes. and I think like Punisher is a great example of that. To me, it's the exact opposite because not only it is very clear that the writers understand the moral quandary Jessica Jones is in, and not only do the writers know it and Jessica knows it, but the villain himself knows it. And one of the things I think makes Jessica Jones so this question so interesting is because I think most of the time I am completely on your side of if it's absolutely not their fault, you need to not harm them. But there's an argument of, like, Jessica Jones could have stopped Purple Man fairly early in that show if she had been willing to, you know, hurt or maybe even have to kill a few of the people he's mind-controlled. He winds up doing far more harm because of how long it takes before he's ever actually, you know, uh, uh, dealt with by her. And in part because he's he knows this ethical choice she makes, and so he's very intentionally you know, using that against her to make it impossible for her to come after him. Um, I think, because again, I don't think you can play a body count, you know, balanced utilitarianism game. So I I feel like, I still feel like Jessica Jones, at, like that she's still doing the right thing. But does does his using that against her and the fact that like she probably could have stopped him earlier, does that, does that change at all for you? Or do you, you're still pretty firm on that's what you have to do? I mean, yeah, he, he's he's playing her real strong, but, like, the reason why that works is because Jessica is a moral and ethical person in those situations. And I think you, if, if you want to be the hero, you can't compromise that for the convenience of the moment, right? Right. Um, now, you could make the argument uh, that that taking Kilgrave down sooner will cause less harm to the world in the long run. I don't agree with that argument, but it is an argument that could be made. I don't, right. I don't agree that that's a def- that is a... I, I guess it, it's demonstrably a true argument, but I don't think that it is a good justification for taking the action. Yeah. And I, I, I think that you're mostly the case there. I think... Like, go back to the security guard argument we, uh, I brought up at the beginning. You know, if it's not a paid security guard, but it's, you know, two mind control people who are standing in the way of you and defusing the bomb that's going to blow up a whole city. I don't think the fact that they're mind – like, I, I think that that is an instance where there is justification to not go out of your way to harm them, but harm them if necessary to prevent some far more evil tragedy. Um and I'm not saying, like, again, I don't want to get into a numbers game of 100,000 people justifies it, but 10 doesn't. But, but 
I, I guess I feel like it's not an absolute, but that it, it has to be something truly horrific to, to start making me feel like that's, that's the decision I want our hero to make. Right. And even then it's, well, if you have to, but it still, you know, it, it sits poorly. It's, it's not, it's suboptimal. If there was another way, I want the hero to pursue it. Yeah. And I guess what I would feel like is what I want in media is to, sh- is to see that the hero knows that, you know? And wrestles um, with it. Yeah. Yeah. That at least they understand, like, it's not that there's a difference between beating up the bad guy versus beating up the, the person who is supporting the bad guy through absolutely no fault of their own. Um, and, and what I often use here as the counterexample to this is the movie Suicide Squad because um, there's a lot of things I do like about that movie, although fundamentally it's pretty terrible. Um, uh, mostly I like the portrayal of Amanda Waller. Um, but in that movie, we have a whole bunch of people who are being mind-controlled by the big bad, and our heroes are just absolutely blowing them away. I mean, there's just no question of, you know, these are zombies, they are not people, they have no moral weight, even though we're, we're kind of, it's kind of understood that, like, the people could be people again once the big bad's defeated. Um, but at the same time, there are elements where, you know, when particular members of the hero fall under the influence of the big bad, like, those are people who need to be rescued because they're our friends. They're people we got to know. Um, and, and to me, that's one of the worst examples of this where there's a real moral hypocrisy on the case of the, in, the, in the part of the characters, but the writers don't even seem to realize that. Well, so forgive me. I've not actually seen Suicide Squad, but am I mistaken that the, the, our heroes, quote-unquote, in this movie are from Batman's rogues gallery of villains? Well, they are, but one of the central conceits of the movie is that while these people don't it, – it's kind of the morals versus ethics questions because the idea is supposed to be that these people don't follow the law, but they do have their own moral and ethical codes. And that they are like – not that they're like vigilantes for justice, but that they are you know, sort of like Harley is portrayed as someone who has no problem st- you know, stealing and, and, and killing – but also has a very strong morality about, you know, protecting her friends and protecting her family and being willing to sacrifice herself or to sacrifice things on behalf of her, the people she cares about. Um, so well, so I, I, would, I – go ahead. It, that sounds to me, at least for Harley's character's case, it's very that, – that reactions you were describing earlier are very consistent with that character. I, I guess it is, but I think, again, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I – I don't think the writers were really like it. Did it didn't feel like the writers realized that? It, I don't think like the writers were saying that Harley's making a conscious choice of, I'm not going to care about the people who are not known to me, but if if I know you, then I do. In a way that I I feel like if the movie had even acknowledged that or someone had asked her about that, it would have changed things a lot. Sure, yeah, I, I get that. I, there's. It certainly wouldn't be the tenth movie I've I've become familiar <laughs> with that uh, even that uh, it's clear that these is not being asked because if any amount of intentionality is enough for me to go oh okay I see there you, you're aware of this but if they don't put it anywhere in the script or anywhere on screen you have to assume they just don't understand yeah no I th- or they don't understand or they don't care. Um, right. one of which I think it is a depends problem. on how it's shot too, but like obviously, yeah. if you're able to come away with that interpretation, uh, yeah. Well, and let's go to one more because I think this is in some ways one of the most interesting. Um, 
because in some like part of what we're talking about here also is like you know the one individual police officer, the one individual grunt, the one individual brainwashed person. What about when it's Superman? You know what? Hmm. Ha- what? What are the ethics of you know using violence against a, a, a literal demigod with world destroying powers when he's under the effects of red kryptonite and thus acting? in ways completely in violation of what would normally be his morality. Interestingly, here's where my script flips a bit. Mm. Uh, because of the magnitude of harm that Superman is capable of doing at a moment's notice, uh, you don't really have the luxury, I feel, of of not taking your shot if you get the opportunity. Um, yeah. Because every moment that you you try to find another way is another moment that considerable harm is happening, right? And there, it's it's really hard to justify going, well, but if we do this, then we get Soup's back. And yeah, Soup's on the side of good is fantastic, right? He is, you know, the, the quintessential hero, right? He's, he's uh, capable of doing a large amount of good. Mm. But if you don't have a guarantee that you're going to be able to to get the red kryptonite off of him or whatever in the world is, or or if it's a situation where Brainiac's controlling him, as it's happened in in a plot line or two, uh, if you're not able to wrest him away from those situations, as you as you put it, it's like a demigod. It's like what leaving him be for any period of time uh, exposes way too much risk. I feel. Uh, and so, like, there I think you do have to come down to a numbers game. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. And I think it, it's – it. you know, I feel like in our own world I, I have very similar thoughts of, you know, if you harm someone accidentally, then, you know, I understand it. Um, but the more power you have and the more, the more able you are to accidentally harm someone – the more I feel like you, there's a moral culpability there, and and in some one of my favorite episodes of um, Justice League, which is in many ways kind of a, a continuation of Batman the Animated Series, because it's that Batman mm-hmm. now is part of the Justice League. Um, ha- have you seen that show, Justice League? I love Justice League. Okay, uh, it really yeah. is Batman's story most of the time. It's just that there yeah. are other DC characters. Uh, sometimes they get stories, and and some of my favorite episodes are where. Not even Superman does go evil, but where it's just about the precautions Batman takes in case he goes evil, you know, and that um, there's a wonderful scene I remember of Amanda Waller and Batman, you know, connecting because they realize they both have green kryptonite and they both keep it with them. And, um, you know, everyone else is horrified about this, about like, how could you have that? And they both are like, you know, what are you nuts? Like Superman (laughs) is... He means well, but it's, you know, like, it's like your buddy who can very easily get drunk, you know, <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. don't let him drive. Um, and when there's, you know, the possibility that if anyone gets their hands on this red glowing rock, it's going to make the most powerful being in the known universe potentially go fundamentally evil. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's it's not necessarily Superman's fault, but there's a fundamental danger that's posed, that, that that's there. And just again, if you can, t- if he can be talked down, so like, uh, and we're, we're making a separation from how uh, Kingdom Come ended. If you recall, with the with the preacher mm. actually managing to reason with him, if he can be talked down, 
great, okay, he's still a force for a considerable force for good. But if that's not an option and you've got yeah. the opportunity to take him down, I think you have to. Well, and if I remember Kingdom Come, it's not red kryptonite. So Superman, Oh no, he's he just mad. Control. Yeah, he's just making bad decisions so he could make other decisions. Like I yes. I think the conceit of red kryptonite is he can't really be talked down. Um, right, exactly. But I, I don't re- remember it too well. No, no um, it, it's 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 a mind influencing thing. Uh, red kryptonite makes him a jerk. <laughs> yeah, let's let's shift to um, another interesting one, um, uh, and and I think it's one that I think is best explored in Star Trek. Although uh, I know I've seen it in other things, and it's there's a number of episodes of Star Trek of all of the series where they come across some kind of life form. Often it's a um, a kind that they have never experienced before, and for whatever reason, this new life form regards, you know, our heroes on the Enterprise as a threat. And often it's because the people on the Enterprise are, without in any way intending to, like, you know, screwing up their homes or threatening them or, you know, like, like you know, it, from, you're destroying the environment of them or things like that. And so it's where the... Um, uh, I think I describe this as when the big bad themselves doesn't realize that 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 they are wrong. You know, when they when they think that the um, for very understandable reasons that our heroes are are the enemy, um, and certainly there's other situations where that can happen as well. Um, what's what's your kind of take on, on on one more like this? Well, when we're talking about uh, old Trek, at least, uh, uh, so like, and by old Trek, I mean pre Star Trek Frontier, uh, pre Star Trek Nine Hundred Two One Zero, right? Um, <laughs> like. Uh, so we were talking about like Star Trek The Next Generation. There's some great examples of what you're talking about here. And I think specifically for those situations, Star Trek is, is such a different example of how we, how media treats these things because mm. they're always, especially in Next Gen, always looking for that, uh, diplomatic solution. Uh, there's a, a very early episode of Next Gen, right? Where, um, Wesley, they're on this incredibly peaceful planet, and Wesley Crusher like ends up uh, accidentally trampling some plants, uh, right. and then the plant, the law on the planet is well, now he has to die. Mm. All laws are, you know, we we've attained this peaceful society because uh, breaking any law is subject to uh, capital punishment, and the crew of the Enterprise has the, they have the power because this, this is not a militaristic society right they have the power to just go nope we're going to take him away by force and they choose not to uh, multiple yeah. times choose not to and instead pursue uh trying to talk with them trying to reason with the society trying to figure out if there's you know is there a way around is there a legal defense do you have trials can we is there some kind of uh a piece of your law that we can utilize to justify treating him differently because he's an outsider. Like, yeah, it's, it's not quite the same because there, uh, you know, it is, it's also different when, um, for example, there was a, uh, an alien life form that was attaching itself to the hull of the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it was sucking energy out of the ship or it was, it was attached to the shield and sucking energy out of the ship. Um, it was just hungry. It thought yeah. that the Enterprise was was its mother. Um, and then its mother did come around and was very angry that its children were were attached to this other thing, and was aggressing against the Enterprise. And there they were in real mortal peril. 
and they did not for a second go let's just kill this thing and go away like well Worf did right yeah. <laughs> because the, that's Worf tactical analysis is I would like to push the red button and kill a thing please um, but instead they, they found a, a, a creative solution to get out of that situation but Star Trek as a whole always approach those scenarios from a how do we do this without using violence how do we solve this problem without using violence right. uh, it's one of the reasons i love star trek so much especially next gen and uh tos deep space nine even voyager i agree with you and and the star wars example is very much what i had in mind more so than because the, the wesley crusher i think is an interesting question but that's actually more about like unjust laws or, or crazy laws or I shouldn't use the word crazy but you know what i mean um Whereas I think that 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 episode with the 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 alien life form is much more the issue is because here now we're talking about situations where something is a threat, but but not for any moral reason, you know, um, you know the our, our heroes going through a jungle and and dealing with you know strange animal creatures that want to attack them. Um, in the Star Wars universe, something I never really loved is that sometime around the time that they you know made the um. The Bantha, or not the Bantha, um, oh god, what's, what, I'm gonna get thrown off my own Star Wars podcast, but what's the, the, the Rancor? God, I'm, I'm embarrassed about that. <laughs> right around the time Lucas figured out that the Rancor was kind of fun to make, all of a sudden, our heroes in Star Wars, pretty much every movie since then, at some point, deal with some huge, huge, you know, monster creature that's just living its life, trying to get some food. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, there again, I, I really love that Star Trek does this, and I can't think of many others that do, where there's a real sense of, like, this thing is a threat to us, but it's not bad. It's just doing what it does, and in Star Trek especially what I like is that they're often like, it's not even that this is coming to us as a threat. It's that we are blundering across the galaxy, and all of a sudden we invaded its territory, and, mm -hmm. so, it's, and so, yeah, we don't have the right to... We disturbed it. It feels like we're a threat. It's attacking us. We should back off rather than just kill it. And I, right. I think that's such a good way to approach that ethical question. It is slightly different, I think, when you are encroaching upon the, the other uh, entity's territory versus when it came to you. Although, I, this might be a topic for a different time, but um, we could also talk about Galactus in the same context of mm. Galactus is just hungry. Like yeah. <laughs> he eats planets. That's his food. Is it really correct? Is it, is it ethically sound to fight and possibly kill Galactus when he's just trying to eat? Well, and I feel like here, and this is again, it's, it's, I think this is an important moral distinction that I wish movies and, and TV show, I, I, I wish more, more addressed. And I really love when they address to me, it's the difference between, punching a Nazi and shooting a rabid dog. Um, yeah. You know, the Nazi is not just a threat, but is like a morally terrible person. And I don't think violence is deserved against anyone, but if anyone deserves violence, it's the Nazi. And yeah, I'm going to cheer a little bit when I see someone, you know, punch a Nazi or even, you know, in, a, in that situation where it's necessary, kill a Nazi. Um, I'm not advocating people to go out and kill Nazis today. I'm just saying, like, when the Nazis a threat, yeah. If, if I hear about a Nazi getting shot while they're they're threatening someone, yeah, I'm gonna cheer. Um, you don't cheer when a rabid dog is put down. Like that's a, you know, 
it's not safe to have that dog loose and maybe you can drive it off but but maybe you you, you know to prevent I don't know enough about biology and, and the way rabies spreads but my certain understanding is that's a situation where you know if it's a threat you're not going to be able to talk it out of being a threat you have to put it down and I guess that's the I it'd be an interesting um that'd be an interesting scale of like how do we judge villains from the um you know rabid dog to a Nazi scale of you know what because I think it really has a lot to do with how do I want the, the violence portrayed? Because when when our heroes are fighting a rabid dog rather than fighting a Nazi, I'm much less interested in the violence being beautiful. You know, I'm much less in, because I just I don't want to cheer it. I will see it as necessary, but I'm not going to see it as like, yeah, go you guys. Look at that cool thing you just did. Mm hmm. Yeah. Let's uh, we want to wrap up. Both of us are uh, uh, speaking of Galactus. We're both pretty hungry and uh, have dinner getting ready. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's talk about the last one, one that I know is dear to your heart. And then actually we're going to be doing a whole episode on in a later point. Um, and this is where it's uh, actually programming. And we're talking here about digital and mechanical life forms, um, our various kinds of artificial intelligence. And as well as I think we're also including under this um, Borg drones, uh, people who are very clearly were people at one point. But now, either either people who were people and are now drones, or people who are artificial intelligence and were created to do the things they were doing. Um, what's what's your moral take on this? Because I'm guessing you no. you have a thought or two. Number one, Borg drones are people. Uh, number two, <laughs> they are uh, mm -hmm. just because they're an they're an individual in a collective consciousness, right? Um, so that they're one part of of that consciousness, but it's still yeah. Anyway. Um, in terms of the uh, programming, the mechanical life forms themselves, this actually, this particular question is wrestled with, not really to my satisfaction either, but I still enjoy the franchise in the uh, in the Mass Effect series, mm. um, where there's a, a group of, uh, of AI aliens called the Geth that were uh, created by another race um, that, you know, attained sentience and have their own motivations now. Um, and you do end up picking off a fair number of them, but you also end up like finding one as an ally and learning that it's a person. Mm. Um, and that makes it a lot harder when you're dealing with, uh, some decisions later. Like there's a decision that you have about whether or not you want to rewrite a part of their code, uh, because of something that's happening. It's like... You know, it, it gets it gets really gray, um, and obviously for me, like if it were a person, I wouldn't want to reprogram a person because that seems kind of wrong, unless they had already been like programmed in a particular way, and I was just writing a wrong, right, getting it yeah. back to to status quo. Um, in terms of in terms of killing them, right, I see no difference. Uh, between the times in the in the game where I had to gun down a bunch of Geth versus the times where I had to gun down a bunch of Krogan or, or any of the other biological races. Um, but I felt a little worse because I knew in those situations those were ones whose uh, control had been overwritten by another entity, right? Yeah. Where they were no longer masters of their own uh, choices, right? Um, and so in some ways that's actually worse than the, it, 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 once you get to the, to the later part in the game and the, or the, the series where 
everybody everybody you're fighting is under these situations but they've been it's it's like a reanimated corpse basically so they're dead uh and now you're fighting this dead thing the geth are the only ones that were are still basically what they were before you started fighting them or yeah. before, before any changes and that makes it worse for me because absent the the programming absent the programming change from this this evil influence um that thing wouldn't have menaced me at all right that 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 geth would not have menaced me at all they would be fine and and we would be cool and maybe we could like hang out uh <laughs> but instead i i you know they shoot at me uh and i don't like that yeah. um no i i think i don't know those games but i think that raises some really good questions um you know, because you're right. It's that. It's that. And again, we're gonna at some point talk about video games and all the moral questions they raise. Um, let Let me throw a, a related one at you, and, and we'll probably do a whole episode on this because I know this is one that you and I've talked about a bit. Um, the battle droids in the Star Wars prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, they are robots that have been programmed to act in a certain way. Um, they've been programmed by someone with a horrible sense of humor. I don't understand why they were programmed the way they did. Um, in our uh, in my Star Wars podcast, uh, our mutual friend Riki actually made exactly that point. Um, but in the Star Wars movies, in the prequels, and in the Clone Wars shows, although less in Clone Wars, um, violence against the clones is portrayed as 100% slapstick ridiculous. And we constantly see clones, you know, going, uh-oh, right before they're killed, or... Uh, you, know, you mean terrible, the droids? The droids, sorry. No, I, I, all yes. this, ugh, mixing those two up. Um, all of what I just said is about the droids, not the clones. My apologies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what's what's your take on uh, the way the droids are portrayed? Uh, not even getting into like individual ones like R2 and, and, and C-3PO, but, but what's your take on how the violence against the, the droids is portrayed in those movies? And, and we, we sort of talked about this at nauseam in, in other episodes but uh my, my stance has not changed um i think it is not i think it's it's reprehensible that because they are uh, artificial life forms that we suddenly decide that they have no moral value mm-hmm. um and in particular like to, to to sort of piggyback on the the commenting of the person who programmed the battle droids i think that whoever uh coded them was particularly cruel because they pro- they probably thought it was funny to have them react in these ways and and respond in these ways and so they wanted if their creations were going to to be destroyed they wanted to get some amusement out of it or something yeah just ick <laughs> like yeah that's really that, that, i hadn't even thought about that if someone like you know wanted to make them a little ridiculous but uh, you know that's that's certainly a possibility why else um, like un- unless unless they're developing those personalities on their own in which case still not okay right mm-hmm. actually still not okay um then it had to have been intentional on the part of the person who who wrote their code yeah <laughs> like, and, and and it's interesting because uh you started off talking about the borg um and i feel like Getting back to the original point of I want the writers to know there's an issue. Um, I don't think and, – and, and it's interesting because I do think Star Wars in general really wrestles with some great moral questions. I don't think anyone in the writer's room of the prequels was thinking that there was any moral weight whatsoever to the battle drones. I think they mm-hmm. were really trying to create them as having no moral weight whatsoever. Whereas um, on the other side – and this is something I'm aware of because um, 
friend of the podcast, Matt Carroll, has his Star Trek Universe podcast, and they recently did a whole bunch of episodes on um, uh, episodes of Star Trek that are really relevant to the new Picard TV show and, and movies, and they, they talked about um, the movie First Contact. And one of the things that happens in First Contact that I think is really interesting is there's an instance where you know a Federation soldier, a Federation officer, uh, is turned into a Borg drone, and moments later... Picard just blows him away without any mm-hmm. attempt to to rescue him or to maybe change him back or anything like that. And we have seen in the TV show, it is canon in the character of Hugh, that a person can be disconnected from the collective and, and can regain their, their humanity or their individualism. Um, and in that show, I think the writers know exactly what they're doing because they have the yep. character of Lily specifically yep. like call out Picard for – you know, you didn't even rescue him. You didn't. E- you just treated him like a machine, not not like there was a person inside or there was a being with any moral worth inside. Um, and I, it's to me, it's one of those areas where like, you know, a thousand drone droid, uh, Borg drones are coming at you. A thousand battle droids are coming at you. I think violence is pretty morally justified, but I do think that that on that rabid dog versus um, Nazi scale. Droids to me are much closer to the rabbit dogs. Where, like you say, like you know, I, I are, are the ones in Mass Effect you're talking about. It sounds like you probably have to shoot them, but yep. it's not something to feel morally great about. Correct. Yeah, it, it's you know, it, it, again, like it's it's kill or be killed. So I guess I got to do it. Um, but yeah, it's it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh situations in in some of these games where like some of your allies get turned and you end up having to to fight them right it's, yeah to me the the programming thing and the mind control thing really they feel like they go hand to hand to me where it's it's really the same question that if you accept that these are individuals with agency absent what you're doing to them then whether it's done via like a keyboard or some kind of digital connection or whether it's done via uh, magic space powers like Bester had or or um, magic whatever powers like Kilgrave has like at the end of the day there's another day dawning but at the end of the day uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't get my get, stuck uh... in my head <laughs> uh, anyway uh, it's the same right mm-hmm. it's, it's the same yeah no I think you're right um, so Morally and ethically, uh, leaving food to get cold is a pretty big moral sin. So I think we're going to kind of wrap up here. But um, are there any – we've just scratched the surface of what I think is a a really interesting topic. Are there any kind of last points that you wanted to to slip in before we we get out of here? Uh, Well, I was wondering if I was going to have time to work in that Mass Effect point, and I did. So I was very happy about that. Um, Mm. I just want to – one more time, especially since uh, – has Picard started yet? I don't even know. It has yet. We Um, have two two episodes are out. Yeah, I don't have CBS All Access, so I maybe someday might possibly watch it. Um, I'm interested, but I, I want to sort of put over uh, Star Trek, specifically Star Trek Next Gen, as an example of these are the kinds of stories I want when we're dealing with these situations. And I just I feel like I don't get that now. Uh, yeah. And part of that probably is our, you know, we are in the superhero era of of media making, right? And so all of our heroic stories or our our fictional stories science fiction especially uh we're dealing more with the 
uh, you know, more with, I guess, simpler and, and more action-oriented stuff. And I just, I miss stories that uh, teach us valuable ideas about, you know, what it means to interact with other individuals who have differing perspectives and points of view and how yeah. we unify with them rather than divide. I would agree with that. Like, I, I feel like certainly movies, there's just far little ethical complexity. And that's a huge broad generalization. Obviously, we've done a lot of episodes on movies that are the, the exceptions to that. I do feel like there's some great stuff happening on television in terms of ethics of superhero stuff. And, and, and But I think you're right. The specific kind of questions that Star Trek did, especially about like – because I feel like this is something you and I and also me and Paul have talked about uh, at length is the idea of how easy it is to not assign moral value to something because it is so different than you and because it scares you, especially. And Mm -hmm. I think Star Trek especially was so good at saying, let's present you with something completely new and completely different and completely terrifying, but that actually is just as much, like, has just as much moral weight, you know? Um to, to, to throw another great sci-fi one at, although this is done more humorously, I know you're in a, re- a watch for the first time of Doctor Who, and you are through some of the most recent ones. Uh, have you gotten to the characters called the Ood? No, I don't okay. think so. Okay, then I won't say anything about that. Um, but I do think, yeah, just in general, like, I think some things also do pretty good with it, but I think Star Trek was the absolute pinnacle of that kind of moral questioning. And in oh, some ways... Oh, might I have. Okay, yeah, 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 these, yeah, I love these guys. Yeah, and and they're. I think that's also a great example because the Ood are presented as like monsters out of a Lovecraftian nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. You look at them and you think this is like straight out of Central Casting, bad science fiction, bad guys. But they're great. You know, the Doctor at one point mm-hmm. says, "You know, an Ood. Everyone loves an Ood. Like they're friendly and helpful, and but but they look like monsters and." I just think that's such an interesting ethical way of questioning with playing with these kind of things. Yeah, I remember the in the episode they were uh, first shown on was like some kind of hell evil thing, right? And yeah. it's you know, uh, yeah, they're they're great because of that because of that subversion of that trope that they look quote look evil but are actually you know kind of mm-hmm. groovy. Yeah. I think that's true. So let's 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 kind of wrap up now. Um, uh, to everybody who's been listening, uh, you've heard us toss a lot of ideas around. Uh, we got into some pretty touchy topics. Um, what do you guys think? Um, what are other great examples you think of some of the the causes, uh, some of the different classifications we brought up, and, and where do you think they fall? Um, what do you think we were right about? What do you think we we got wrong? Um, what parts of discussion you want to keep up and run with? Um, there's a lot of great ways to find us. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, or on email, all at superheroethics uh, or superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, and you also can find both Paul and uh, – sorry. You can you can find Paul on, on Twitter. But more importantly, you can find both Jacob and myself on Twitter. Um, and all that information is in the show notes. Um, I'm happy to say also that after a lot of discussion, um, uh, this podcast is now officially a part of a podcast network called the Stranded Panda Network. Um, and it has now its own website, Stranded Panda. And that's where we can find a lot of the other podcasts that we're often talking about that are done by – some by myself and some by other friends of ours. Um, 
Uh, Matt Carroll, the, the person who I've talked about, has started it. Um, and so it includes the MCU podcast, DC On Screen, my own Orville and Star Wars Universe podcasts, um, podcasts about the Watchmen, uh, a new podcast they're doing called on uh, bin- on binging, basically, where they're gonna uh, in the further starting out by um, getting ready for the newest X Men movie by watching all the old X Men movies. Uh, so it's kind of an awesome idea of like getting ready for a new thing by binging all the old stuff. Um, so there's all sorts of great podcasts there, all of which are worth supporting and checking out because if you like this kind of you know delving into you know science fiction, fantasy, geek media, and really going deep on it. All those podcasts do that from different perspectives. Um, so please check out all those other podcasts. And one last thing that I know Jacob and I want to talk about that we'll, um, we're definitely going to do a full episode on this later, but we're recording tonight of the, uh, we're recording tonight, uh, the night of the Iowa caucus when the voting for uh, the upcoming elections of this year are first getting started. And I just wanted to make the point that heroes vote. It is, well, we talk a lot about the things that, um, these shows teach us about how we can make our world better and how we can make better decisions and how we can not just watch these things but but act in our own lives. And you all who are listening, we may all sit at very different points on the political spectrum. I'm not going to tell you in any way who to vote for, but I want to just make the statement, Captain America says it, Superman says it, the most basic way that we can change the world is to vote. And so I hope that when the primary comes to your area, if you're an American listener, uh, and when the general election comes, that you will vote and and do your part as a superhero in the voting booth. Uh, if you live in other countries, I hope you live in a place where democracy is possible and you can vote. And if not, I, I hope that we can do all we can to, to or you all can do your can or everyone can do all they can to, to help make voting a possibility. So, uh, Jacob, I think this is something you and I both agree on that um, to me, the best way in our world that you can be a superhero right now is to cast a vote. Absolutely. Uh, as I've said multiple times, but I will say it again. Our participatory democratic republic does not work if you don't participate, if, if we don't get more people who are eligible to participate, who do participate and, and have your voice be heard. It is, it doesn't, I know it doesn't feel heroic. I know that it feels just like you can be standing in line sometimes. Sometimes it can be difficult, tedious. You have to block out time. It's a little bit of time, a couple of days a year at most, and it is very, very worth it. The more of us that do it, the more we get a government that reflects our ideals and what we value as a people. Exactly. So I'm going to sign off now and go watch uh, a couple hundred thousand superheroes in the state of Iowa. To all of you, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this great community. Please keep listening. Please keep sharing this with your friends. Please giving us reviews on iTunes and all those places so we can help get the word out. Thank you very much. Have a great day.